This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Killar jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me as always, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hi, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in, quote unquote, to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. I just said that. But did you say the thank you part? Yeah. Really? Yeah, that's the first thing I said. Oh. I said, thank everyone for tuning in to another episode of the <laughs> Then you literally just copied exactly what I said. Uh, okay. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Yes, I would like to echo your gratitude to everybody. Thank you for joining us on this episode. We've got a ton of show ahead. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, man. There's like so much to talk about. So many fancy hockey headlines this week. I want to get right into it. Of course, first, let's just mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. Proudly presented. Well, we're proud. Hopefully, they're proud. But we love having DauberHockey.com associated with our podcast because that is the premier site for fantasy hockey. Like, you got all your news items, your tools, starting goalies, line changes, all of that, daily ramblings. It's a great site. Trust me, if you haven't ever gone to DauberHockey.com, just go there like every day, read all of the articles, be up to date. It's like an episode of Keeping Carlson every day on their website. That is the highest honor you can bestow on a website <laughs> being as narcissistic as you are. So congratulations, Dabra Hockey, from getting that seal of approval from Elon Dabrowski. But it's true. And like the articles just keep coming day after day. Sometimes I've questioned this player or that player. And then there's like a cage match article featuring those two players. So go ahead and check it out over at DabraHockey.com. All right. So, Brian, let's start the show with the number one fantasy hockey headline of the week. And I feel bad about this because we just started last week talking about the Edmonton Oilers. We talked for like 10 minutes about Leon Dreisaitl, Dreisaitl. 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 Okay, everyone's getting on me for saying his name wrong. Now it's like in my head. Dreisaitl. We got very excited about his hot start. We talked about him. We talked about the Oilers, their lines, how everything was going to shake out. And then huge news this week because Connor McDavid is injured for months. What a horrible blow. I was really bummed when I saw this news and I don't even have McDavid in any of my pools. It just like was like, oh no, it was everything was going so well for him. He was going to be rookie of the year. He was going to maybe set some records. It was very exciting. And now here we are. He's out long-term. If you're a McDavid owner, like, I'm sorry, you were probably so excited with your pick. Like, especially if you picked him in a one-year league and you were probably thinking, oh, I wonder if I picked him too high or not. He's just a rookie. And then it had been working out so well for you that he was turning into one of the premier centers in the league right off the bat of his career. 
And now Brandon Manning came along, and here we are. And here we are, yeah. I don't think the hockey world has had this much empathy for an injury in a very long time, but that's what happens when somebody who everybody is watching and excited about to see maybe one of the most legendary rookie seasons ever goes down with an injury. So it's a shame for him, but of course on the show we're looking at fantasy relevance for the rest of the team, and this means one thing specifically, that Yakupov and Dreisaitl both get to stay in the top six, at least in the short term. We figured once Eberle came back and took back his spot on the right side, someone would get bumped down. But now that he's come back, all they've had to do is shift Dreisaitl back to center. And their top six has essentially remained unchanged, except for, of course, missing Connor McDavid and Jordan Eberle taking that empty spot. Yeah, exactly. So McDavid is out, which sucks. But just in time, Jordan Eberle back in the lineup. He's played one game so far. It's been one game of... McDavid out and Eberle in. It was against Pittsburgh. The Oilers lost 2-1, to one, only scored one goal. For the record, it was cleft bomb by Pouliot and Yakupov. So there you go, Yakupov and Pouliot. Or no, you said Yakupov and Dreisaitl. Also, Pouliot is a guy who benefits because maybe he was going to be the one bounced out of the top six. I feel like his spot is actually pretty secure there. I guess the guys who I might expect to maybe come up would be Lander and Purcell, but one's a centerman and one's a right winger, and I don't think there's anybody who can slot in on the left side effectively enough to be able to push Pouliot out of that spot. So like I said, we already talked a lot about the Oilers last week, so we won't get too much into it, but like you say, not too much changes aside from Connor McDavid being out, of course, and Everly being in. Brian, I do want to ask you though, so it was Pouliot, McDavid, and Yakupov on that really nice second line. It was really bringing up the value of Yakupov and Pouliot, and Dreisaitl was really clicking with Hall and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Now that Nugent Hopkins is on the second line centering Pouliot and Yakupov, do you see any decrease in value? Like, is it a downgrade to go from Connor McDavid to Ryan Nugent Hopkins for Pouliot and Yakupov? And also for Dreisaitl, does he lose any value? I think he'd gain value, right? I don't know. He lost Ryan Nugent Hopkins as a line mate. He moves to center and he gains Eberly. Like, any of the things we said last week about any of these guys aside from Connor McDavid, do any of them change, in your opinion? No, I don't think much changes. We saw Pouliot do pretty well last season alongside Nugent Hopkins and Eberle, so that's really the change for him, whether or not Yakupov can be as good a line mate for Pouliot as Eberle was. And, you know, you might expect perhaps he won't be able to. And I'm actually watching Ryan Nugent Hopkins because he was in a really great spot, probably with his best line mates in a while, and now he's got... Pouliot, we don't really consider somebody who drives his own offense a whole lot. Like, he can contribute and take part, but he might not be the one making things happen. And then Yakupov, who, you know, still has a bit of a question mark looming over his head. And Dreisaitl, I really don't have much of a concern about it all. Anyone who gets to center Taylor Hall and Jordan Eberle should do pretty well. It is worth mentioning in that 2-1 loss against Pittsburgh, there were only two Oilers, though, who put more than two shots on goal, and they were Hall and Pouliot. So they both managed to do pretty well. And actually, one defenseman was also able to do that, and his name was Oscar Clefbaum, had five Shots on goal, which is a very nice total for a rookie defenseman. Or scratch that, sophomore, maybe his first season in the league, he played just 17 games. Last year, he played 60 games. Maybe we'll see a full 82 this year. Yeah, well, Clefbaum's an interesting guy just because in a league that counts blocks, he's sort of shown up in the rankings when I sort by the top blocks guys. So it's always really tough to find a defenseman in a league that counts blocks that can also contribute offense and Clefbaum has been able to chip in a little bit six points in 14 games nothing too special but of course it's been a bit increased 
with Justin Schultz out. So maybe Clefbaum is a good short-term add. And like you said, five shots in the last game is very impressive. And he scored a goal in that game. The only goal for the Oilers. But of course, that's only one game since the new configuration came into place. Don't freak out, obviously, if you have Everly. Like, he only had one shot and didn't do anything. But he'll be fine. I'm very excited for their game today against Chicago. By the time you're listening to this podcast, that game will already have happened. And yeah, it's very interesting to follow the Oilers and what's going to happen now with McDavid out. And okay, let's move on to the second fantasy hockey headline of the week. Another big star getting injured. Zach Parise is currently out week to week, they're saying, with a sprained MCL. This is a real downer. I actually have him in my Keeping Carlson League. Picked him, of course, quite early, and he had really been doing well for me. In fact, he now has nine points in 12 games, seven goals, and he's been on a cold streak. He hasn't scored a goal in his past four games, though he had been putting up like five and six shots, so the goals were going to come back. But that just shows how well he started the year. It's apparently not as bad as people thought it could have been so I guess that's good and maybe he'll be back in a week or two but in the meantime this does cause a shakeup on the top line and top power play in Minnesota obviously no one's going to be able to replace the production of Parise but I'd imagine this does open up a golden opportunity for someone so Brian how do you see things shaking out in Minnesota right now? Well, you'd think that it would be Thomas Vanek getting the opportunity in Minnesota but as has been the case during his entire time there it's not instead Charlie Coyle is going to be the one who gets to step onto the first line. So far in 13 games played this year, he has six points, four goals, and two assists, 20 shots on goal. And in that first line opportunity that he saw last night against Tampa, he had two shots on goal and an assist. Not a bad start, but he's a guy that we've been watching for like a few years now and still hasn't really been able to take at least his production to the next level. If you look at his career history, he had 35 points last year in a full season, 30 points the year before, and, you know, 12 fewer games played. So he's not somebody who's been scoring at the pace that I think was expected way back when the Wild traded Brent Burns to the San Jose Sharks to get him onto their team. So this will be as good an opportunity as ever for him to start doing what we all hoped he could. Except I feel like we say that a lot about Minnesota Wild players like Grenland and Koivu, although Koivu has, of course, picked up his game this year, and Grenland is also doing a little better. So things are looking slightly better than they have in the past for offensive production from Minnesota Wild. And one guy whose name is definitely coming up a lot in fantasy leagues and fantasy questions is Jason Zucker, who we noticed last year as somebody who was taking shots at a fantastic rate per 60 minutes. He fit into the top 20 forwards in the league by the end of last season in that metric. And he's carried that forward into this season. He's playing right now on a line centered by Koivu and has Niederreiter on the other side. And that line is seeing a fair amount of success. Jason Zucker so far in 13 games played has 10 points, 3 goals, 7 assists, and 42 shots on goal is the most exciting part of that for me. In those 13 games that he's played, he's had five or more shots on goal five times. That's almost half the games he's played. He's put five or more shots on net. Very impressive. And last year, of course, we also noticed him because of the goals he scored. He had 21 goals and five assists. And only one of those goals came on the power play. So doing a lot of work at even strength. Already this year, he has beaten his total power play points from last season. He has two power play assists, and maybe he's going to get some more opportunities going forward. I know we started this whole piece talking about how Charlie Coyle is going to get an opportunity on the first line with Parisi injured, but I still think that Jason Zucker is the most interesting wild player that could be available in your league right now. Yeah, like a couple of things about what you said right now. First of all, 
Zucker's 21 goals last year, that was in only 51 games, which means he was on pace to score more like 33 or 34 goals if he would have played a full season. So that was a very sneaky ad if you drafted Jason Zucker this year because he clearly had shown that he could be a goal scorer and he definitely has picked up where he's left off I guess only three goals right now in 13 games but of course he's making up for it in assists he's had a great year in all those shots on goal you know that a few more are going to go in he only has a 7.1 percent shooting percentage right now compared to his 12.8 percent career average though of course it's been a short career and yeah when you talk about Charlie Coyle being on the first line that whole first line has struggled we have to say like we already talked about Jason Pominville in an episode how he still hasn't scored a goal he only has six points in 13 games now and Mikhail Granlin the guy who every year we think is this the year he's finally going to break out in fantasy he's got five points in 13 games so it's been a real disappointment and now losing Zach Parise on that line is probably not going to help no offense to Charlie Coyle so yeah I'd say that that second line is very exciting and you know you also mentioned Thomas Vanek who's way down on the third line like you see that he's playing with the likes of Eric Koala and Christoph Berchi. I like that you sounded like you just said Eric Koala. <laughs> How do you say it? Hala? Eric Hala? Hala. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> Hala indeed, because Thomas Vanek, even with these line mates, and even though he's only averaged less than 15 minutes a game in ice time, He's actually third in the team in points. He's got 10 points in 13 games. Only Ryan Suter, who, by the way, Ryan Suter's having an amazing year, 11 points in 13 games. And then Miko Koivu, who you said has really turned things on this year. He's got 12 points in 13 games. But yeah, the top scorers on Minnesota are not who we expected they would be. And one more guy I'll mention before we move on. Let's mention Jared Spurgeon, Ryan Suter's defensive partner. Spurgeon has seven points in 13 games, which is higher than a half point per game pace, which would definitely put Spurgeon on pace for his best offensive year. And again, just like I said about Clefbaum, Spurgeon's a guy who can give you some blocks. So if you're in a league that counts blocks and you're looking for maybe an upgrade on defense or an extra player, I think Spurgeon is a guy who maybe you might want to take a flyer on. And I feel like we've maybe said this every year. Maybe you've thought this every year. Every once in a while, he puts up some shots or some goals, but he's getting power play points. He's got three on the year so far, and he's getting really good ice time. So obviously, Ryan Suter is the main defenseman you'd want in Minnesota, but he's probably owned in your league. Spurgeon probably isn't and might be a guy to look for. So a lot of potential value there in Minnesota, but I agree with you, Brian. If you could get Jason Zucker right now, he's the guy I would jump for if he's available. And he's only 87.8% owned in ESPN. I'm sure it's a lot lower in Yahoo. So you might still be able to get him. We've talked about Spurgeon before as sort of a depth demon who can contribute some peripherals along with some points. I kind of feel like he's in the same category, Elon. I think you actually said this as a guy like Francois Beauchemin or maybe even like Erasmus Ristolainen, somebody who you can hope for some secondary power play production from. And if he doesn't do that, at least he's going to put up a few blocks each night to help keep your team going in that category. Okay, let's move on to the next headline. And it's just been that kind of week because we're on the third headline and we're only now getting to the fact that Carey Price has been injured on Montreal, the top fantasy player, pretty much, to start the season. Like, if you had Carey Price, you were golden in your goalie categories. He goes down. For the Montreal Canadiens, though, it hasn't been too big of a hit because Mike Condon has come in and has been amazing. He's been lights out. In seven games this season, Condon has a 940 save percentage. Somehow that's higher than Carey Price's 936 save percentage, which is already insane. So Brian, we've got to talk about this. Like if you have Carey Price, he's on your injured reserve. And unfortunately, we don't know how long he's going to be out. They're sort of having him as a week to week. They said they're going to talk more on Monday about how long he's going to be out. We're going to have an update. But until then, probably it's too late to grab Mike Condon. But I'm curious, Brian, for people who did grab Mike Condon, what's going to happen now when Price comes back? 
he's clearly shown himself to be a guy that can be totally relied on in nets. Carey Price, though, is a guy who plays so many games, so something's going to have to give. How much value do you see Mike Condon having once Price comes back? Not a ton. Even though he does so well, like he'll be good for a spot start, but there are several other backups around the league that I think I'd rather have than the guy who's behind Carey Price. And it would be the same if he was behind Tuka Rask or Braden Holtby or Henrik Lundqvist. Like we have Antti Ranta, who's also doing very well so far this season, but we're not having that same conversation because he plays behind a workhorse. So I wouldn't expect a whole lot from Condon going forward. If you can get him, though, in the time that Price is injured, go for it. One thing about Montreal and their huge start so far this year, though, is that their PDO is fairly high. And of course, we know PDO, you take a team's shooting percentage and the save percentage and you add them both together. And if everything is hunky-dory, then it should be at about 100 But right now, Montreal's PDO is way up. It's second in the league behind only the Rangers. And that's because of their fantastic goaltending that they've gotten from both Price and Condon. That puts them at second in the league in team save percentage. And they are also top five in the league in shooting percentage. So at some point in the air, one of those is going to lag a little. I suppose shooting percentage is more likely when you have Condon doing what he's doing and Price being who he is. So if you're getting really pumped about what's going on in Montreal, I think they're like 12-2 and right now. It's great. Enjoy it while it lasts. It's not going to go this way all season, although they are playing a lot better all the way through the lineup than they have in any recent year when they've even had a similarly successful record. Yeah, and back to Condon, if you're saying that you don't see him having much value once Price comes back, like he's rising up to almost 100% owned in the main fantasy platforms, and for good reason, right? He's like almost a guaranteed win when he starts and with a sparkling save percentage. So if you have him right now, if you were lucky to get him, maybe now's the time to sell high. Like, I wonder if you can catch someone off guard who's just going to look at his recent numbers and maybe think, oh, maybe Price will be gone a long time, which hopefully won't be the case. Or he's thinking, oh, maybe they are going to do more of a timeshare now since Condon's been so good, which as you've said, is not very likely to happen. So now's your time to maybe trade Condon, hurt yourself for this week or next week, but maybe get a nice upgrade that's going to help you once price comes back. And for the next headline, I guess this has been a bit of a downer talking about three straight injuries. So we did talk about Eberly coming back. And let's talk about another happy outjury. Kevin Shattenkirk is finally back and he has been so frustrating to own this season because he's been injured for like 10 games and he was on day-to-day the whole time. So you weren't even able to put him in your IR unless you had like an IR plus spot in Yahoo. So he was just burning a roster spot. Finally, he's back. He played his first game back yesterday for the Blues against Nashville. Nothing to write home about. Only 19 minutes played, one shot on goal, no goals or assists. But one thing that we've been concerned about with Shattenkirk's impending return is we thought, what's this going to do to Colton Pareko, who's been like this big breakout rookie defenseman who everyone has jumped to grab over the past few weeks after we mentioned him, by the way, in a podcast before he had that huge breakout. Just just saying. But yeah, Pareko, in Shattenkirk's return, he had a goal. He scored a goal yesterday and it was on the power play. So we were mainly worried that he would be bumped off that top power play. And he was. But he's still able to produce. He put on four shots on goal, three blocks. So a great game for Pareko. But if you look beyond just those road stats, you do see that he only played 16 minutes and 40 seconds. And I feel like Shattenkirk's minutes were down from what he normally will be able to do once he gets back into the swing of things. And Shattenkirk was back on the top power play. All that said, if you're a Pareko owner, I don't know. I still don't feel, Brian, like you should be too worried because he's been so good. Like, is he really going to take too much of a hit with Shattenkirk back? 
Well, so far, his five-on-five ice time has not been affected in the one game that Shattenkirk has been back, and he also is not changing partners. He's still with Carl Gunnarsson for the time being, so all of that steadiness seems promising. The concerning thing, though, is that he had the lowest share of his team's power play time on ice since, well, actually, it was the lowest share that he's seen all season of the St. Louis Blues power play time. Even so, he did still manage to score his fifth goal and third power play point of the season. So that is positive, but I think there is reason to be a little less optimistic. I mean, you could see the glass half full with Shattenkirk coming back and taking a lot of power play time and saying, well, you know, it's his first game back and they just want him to get in as many reps on the power play as he possibly can. But I don't think that's what this is. Shattenkirk is absolutely the guy on that first power play unit, and he's going to step right back into that role that he has undeniably earned from what he did last season. And actually, you know, just putting Pareko aside for a bit, this is probably good news for the Blues power play because they have not been doing too well so far this season. They sit near the bottom of the league in terms of power play success, just seven goals and 47 opportunities for about a 14% conversion rate. So hopefully Shattenkirk steps in and helps that. Pareko was not racking up a ton of points on the power play to start with, so I feel like he can still be fantasy relevant this year. But he has some opportunities for sure taken away from him. Okay, so Brian, the big question though is, so Pareko's got 10 points in 14 games. He's had an unbelievable start to the year. I'd say right now with Connor McDavid injured, so sad, maybe Pareko is right now the front runner to win the Calder Trophy. Is that a crazy thing to say? At least the way he's played so far, it's been insane. But at the end of the day now, the big question is, Brian, if you have Colton Pareko, this guy who you picked up off free agency, has been a huge gem for you, has maybe won you a matchup or two with these 10 points in 14 games, not to mention his 39 shots on goal for a defenseman. He's putting up Carlson numbers, basically. Do you sell high right now on Pareko? Like, what do you do if you're a Pareko owner right now? Shattenkirk's back. If you had him, would you be looking for someone to trade him to? Or would you just be like, I'm holding on to this guy? If I can get a 40-point defenseman back for him, I'm trading him. I've been sort of advocating to sell him high for the last week or so with Shattenkirk coming back, knowing that he is going to see a decrease in his power play time. The little bit of good news for him, though, is that the Blues did make room on their second unit. They were rolling with four forwards on each unit, with Pareko on one and Petrangelo on the other as the quarterbacks. But now on their second unit, they have just three forwards, and Pareko has joined Petrangelo on the blue line. So there is still a little bit of room for him to produce there, but I would still see if you can parlay Pareko into, yeah, like a 40-point defenseman. I think that would be a very good move for you to make right now. I don't know, 40 points? It seems so low. Like, you're talking like a Jake Muzzin or a Cam Fowler or something. I don't know, it seems kind of boring. Yeah, it is a little boring. Maybe that's my style. Maybe I'm just a really boring guy. (laughs) Maybe. I guess I'll be very curious to follow Pareko now Shattenkirk back and see. I have him in one of my leagues. I don't know. I just don't want to trade him. But maybe it's a mistake. A very deep note for anybody who is in a deep league. Dmitry Yaskin is the one who got the bump off the second power play unit because they took away a forward. He was the forward that seemed to get removed in Shattenkirk's first game back. And another very deep note, Joel Edmondson is the one who gets to play with Shattenkirk now. We mentioned him at the start of the year along with Pareko as another Blues defenseman who might be able to make an impact, not necessarily as offensively oriented as Pareko, but who might still be growing into a role with the team. He's never been a point scorer, though, so I don't know. If you're in an average time on Nice League or anything, you might you might be interested, but probably not. 
Maybe I'll throw out another blues note since we're throwing these out. Maybe I'll just mention quickly, Yori Laterra has really slowed down recently. He has no points in his last four games, even though he's still on the top line with Steen and Tarasenko, and he's still on the top power play, so you'd expect points to come. I will say one silver lining, he's plus four in his last two games. So he's been on the ice for a lot of goals, but I guess his IPP must be pretty low since he's on the ice for these points, but not being able to get any himself. But I do kind of think that you shouldn't give up on Yori Laterra, and maybe he's a guy you could buy low on now that he's in this little slump. He's still just on such an amazing line, and clearly, like I'm saying, if he's on the ice for goals, he's going to get some assists at least soon, I think. Yeah, I have him. I picked him up, and now I'm a little bit concerned about keeping him on my team for very long if this keeps up, because if you're on that top line and you're not producing, even if you say, well, it's only a matter of time, he's going to start scoring, after a certain kind of dry spell, you start wondering, and right now, Laterra has four games without a point playing with very talented players. And the last two games, Elon, you said he's a plus four, but zero shots on goal in those games. So I'm still going to be patient. I'm not going to drop him for four weak games, but I am going to be watching the next five or six very, very carefully. Yeah, I guess the big thing to watch is if they at some point decide to put Bacchus back with his former line mate, Alex Steen, and put him on the top line instead of Laterra. He is a guy who can center the first line. He's done it for quite a long time in his career. It's been a new role for Bacchus being pushed down in the lineup. But yeah, that would be the big thing. If you see in the news that Bacchus is going to be playing with Steven Tarasenko, then Laterra is like, loses a lot of value. And Bacchus, by the way, gains a lot of value. But I'm not sure if that's something that's going to happen. At the end of the day, they've won five of their last six games. They've won their last two games with four and six goals apiece. So I don't think they're going to be shaking up that, that line anytime soon. I was saying that could be something that happens maybe one day. But for now, I think Laterra is definitely secure. And the Blues are rolling. And of course, a big part of that is Jake Allen in net has been lights out, which is concerning for Elliot owners. And I know we already talked about this last week, I think, about how Elliot has definitely let us down after we thought that he maybe had made a run for the starting job at the beginning of the year. We actually got a tweet just today from at Debts telling us how, sort of mocking how we said that Elliot maybe was going to win the job since Allen was the one who they wanted all along. I guess right now Allen is on fire. We'll see how long it can last. I still think there maybe is some value for Brian Elliott. Like, I think Allen still could falter at some point. Like, don't drop Elliott for nothing at this point, I'd say. Allen is on a pretty impressive run. In his last six starts, the lowest save percentage he's registered is a 935. Of course, the three games he started before this run were not terribly impressive. They were all like average goaltending or below or far below. But this is exciting to see him finally coming around, hopefully doing something. I still don't think that he is beyond, you know, being prone to another poor run of goaltending, in which case Brian Elliott will get some starts again. I still see them like maybe splitting time. It might just mean, you know, we might have like a 45-37 split now for Allen instead of having them both like within a game or two of 40 games. At least that's where it is now, and I'm open to Jake Allen running away with it and getting 50. I just think that would be a really, really big swing, and he'd have to play very consistently to make that happen. And that's just something we haven't seen from him just yet. But again, I'm open to it. I want to see it. Well, he's definitely doing well right now, and it is making Elliott owners a bit concerned. I guess we'll have to check in on that in a week or two. But definitely point noted at K Debts. Yeah, Allen definitely is surpassing our expectations right now. Okay, and a couple more injuries and outjuries to mention before we move on to our next segment. First, let's start with an injury from yesterday. Andre Palat apparently hurt his leg. We don't know yet how serious it is, 
but it could be serious. Like, according to Roto World, it's saying that he suffered a right leg injury and had to be helped off the ice. Hopefully it's nothing, but if it is something, you know, already we've been talking about how the triplets line had been struggling, and I am curious to know how things would shake up in Tampa Bay with Palat injured. I'd imagine that some new player gets into the top six, and I wonder who that would be. Well, Druin's been out too, so things are a little bit out of sorts lately with the Lightning, and maybe now they'll get a little more out of sorts because they already had Phil Pula playing on a line last game with Stamkos and Palat, and they had Kucherov and Johnson playing with Kalorn. So I suppose this at least keeps a spot open, even when Druin returns for one of those two. My money would be on Kalorn for now to be able to stay up in the top six and keep producing. If you want a dark horse, then maybe Vladislav Nemesnikov could get a turn. I feel like they might just rotate guys through that spot for a little while, though, at least until they know how serious Palat's injury is going to be. Yeah, well, last game, it started, like you said, with Stamkos, Phil Palat, and Palat. Then when Palat got injured, Ryan Callahan actually came in. He had been playing with Paquette and Nemestikov, and then he joined the top line with Stamkos and Phil Pula. So yeah, it's a little crazy right now. We didn't think we'd be mentioning Phil Pula this season as a relevant guy. All of a sudden, he's playing with Stamkos, so that's something to keep an eye on. But yeah, we need to see what happens with Juwin back, and also we have to see what happens in terms of how long Palat will be out. But definitely worth watching the Tampa Bay Lions right now, and there might be some short-term value in some of these guys that are available in your league, like the Killorns and the Phil Pulas. And like you say, maybe the Nemestikovs, but I wouldn't be too worried about him. I think overall, it's like maybe Killorn and Phil Pula might be the short-term guys that are not owned very much, but you might be able to get something out of. And also, I would have maybe said going into yesterday that it's time to consider dropping Callahan since he had been on the top line and that's what helped him have some value, but he was down again, but now he's back up potentially. So maybe if you were about to drop Callahan, maybe just hold off for a little bit longer until we see how things shake out. And then one outjury I wanted to mention, Martin Hansel came back. He was also one of these guys who was day-to-day for a while, just like Shattenkirk, like very frustrating. They didn't put him on the IR, so he was just burning a roster spot. And maybe some people would have just thought, oh, I'll just drop him. He's just Martin Hansel. But it's kind of hard to drop a guy who had 10 points in nine games. Now he's come back in his first game back. He had two assists. Yesterday, no points against the Rangers, but six shots on goal. So right now, Hansel's line, still no goals. He has 12 points, though, all assists in 11 games. So he's still over a point per game. He hadn't taken too many shots overall, but now with his six-shot effort yesterday, he's up to 22 shots in 11 games. So let's see if he can do that more consistently or something like that or if he'll go back to the zeros and ones but yeah with Hansel back I mean I don't know Brian I'm curious to get your thoughts because I was asking on the Keeping Carlson Facebook group who I should drop to bring in guys like Shattenkirk and eventually Mike Green and Datsik who I have coming off my IR and a lot of people were saying that I should drop Hansel and I feel like how can I drop Hansel so Brian what do you think about this guy do you still see him obviously he's not gonna be a point per game guy but he has been putting up like a 60 point pace For the last few seasons, he's just never been able to play a full season, so he never even comes close to approaching that. But while Hansel's playing, is he a guy you'd want on your team, or do you think that this is going to dry up? No, I like Hansel, as long as he's healthy, and that's been the knock. But if he's not taking up a roster spot when he's injured, like if you have enough IR slots to put him aside, or I guess alternately that at least when he's out, he's not D-to-D like he is eligible to be put in your IR I don't see the point in dropping him right now he's been great this season and like you said and like you said a few weeks ago he's been great for the last few health is a huge issue but a healthy Hansel is better than an injured Hansel maybe you drop an injured Hansel but right now I would probably hang on to him and see what he can do for the next couple weeks I was actually talking with one of our patrons recently about what's going to happen to the Coyotes for the rest of the season because it's like well they can't keep doing as well as they're doing right now but guys still have to keep scoring and I feel like 
a 55-60 point range would be like cautiously optimistic for two or three of their top scorers, and Hansel would be one of those. Yeah, and maybe Hansel was dropped in your league when he was injured and the person didn't like having him as day-to-day. So maybe it's a chance to grab him because I think he's hot. I think he's good. Like, I feel like now's the time to grab Hansel if he's available. But we should mention, you know, all of these Coyotes that we were excited about for the last few weeks, they've slowed down a little bit, right? Like, Anthony Duclair now has no points in his last six games. And he's one of the guys during that big hot streak when everyone was scoring in their top six I remember thinking that Duclair was one of the ones that would suffer just because he had lower ice time than everyone else. Max Domi's still doing okay, but only three points in his last six games. Really, actually, the guy who started doing really well on Arizona and someone who we weren't mentioning before when we were talking about the Domi's and Duclair's and Tobias Reiter's and Hansel. But now it seems like the guy to own on Arizona is Michael Bodker. He's got eight points in his last six games and now 10 points in 13 games on the year. And he's been taking lots of shots. He's had four and four shots in his last two games. So here's a guy who's heating up, but maybe it's the kind of thing on Arizona where they're just going to sort of cycle through different people scoring. But Bodger is the one of all of these who has a bit of a pedigree and has done it before. He had 51 points in 82 games a couple of years ago. And last year he had 28 points only, but in 45 games, that would have been like, you know, almost 55, 56 points if he would have played a full season. So maybe he's someone you can rely on if he's available in your league to put up points. Brian, really quickly, Hansel or Bodker, if you could have one. I'll take Hansel, but you said we've seen what Bodker's doing. We've seen it before, and actually, like, the last few games have been a really promising sample. I mean, we've seen the points come before, but he has eight shots in his last two games played, and in fact, in his last nine games, he's had four or more in four of those nine games, and we haven't known him to be a very heavy shooter, generally averaging two or fewer shots per game. So if he can keep this aspect of his game up, he definitely gains a bit of value, but I would still prefer Hansel on my team for now. All right, so that takes us out of the injuries and outjuries segment, and let's now talk about some roster changes, some players moving up and down from the NHL to the AHL or to wherever they go, and we have to start on the island. A big shock, Ryan Strom, the guy who was on the first line with Tavares and Lee, and we thought, wow, this is going to be a great year for Strom after a really strong year last year, but now he's been sent to the minors, which is crazy. A lot of people were disappointed. Brian, I know you just picked up Strom with a waiver acquisition. You had to spend some of your free agent acquisition budget to get him. Now he's down. I hope not for long. Maybe you know more about the plan of what they're thinking with Strom. Like, why'd they send him down, and how long do you think this will last? I don't remember the last time we've seen a player of this stature, a player with this much expectation, getting loaned to the AHL midseason without being injured or anything. So I, I don't think there's like a secret injury going on. I think the Isles are just frustrated, and I suppose they could be. I mean, he is pointless in five straight games, but we see a lot of players go through five-game pointless streaks without getting sent to the minors. So definitely a curious move, and we can only hope that he goes down finds his game, dominates, and then brings it back to the NHL very soon. And I don't expect this is going to last very long. I don't know if it is like just a wake-up call because they scratched him and maybe they weren't happy with what happened after that because nothing changed. I guess there are two ways to look at this. Either they want him to get a few games in down there and put up some decent point totals for a short stretch, or it's really just a kick in the pants to say, hey, we can do this to you at any time still. You need to bring us your best game. I don't know. Maybe this is like an in the room or whatever, a coach personal issue or something. I have no idea. I'm totally baffled by it, actually. I would expect him to have much more rope 
than what he got this year. And, like, it wasn't like he was bad last year. He had 50 points in 81 games played last year. And usually 50 points could be your ticket to staying in the NHL for the rest of your career. Not in Ryan Strom's case, but he won't be gone long. If you have an NA spot in your league and he's available as a free agent, I would happily stash him there, hoping that he can return to, like, a 55, maybe even 60-point pace when he gets back up with the big team. Okay, Brian, well, coming up on the podcast, we're going to talk about a number of players who are on hot streaks right now. So maybe the question will be, as we're going through them, if you have one of these guys, is Ryan Strom a good buy-low candidate at this point? Like, let's say if you have a Dale Weiss or a Sam Bennett, or I guess I don't want to give away all the names we're going to talk about. But at this point, do you see Strom as a guy that everyone should be trying to target now from his frustrated owners? I would let the owners get frustrated on their own and just drop him. I feel like a lot of people have lost patience. In fact, in my Keevan Carlson patron league, I thought I'd have to bid big bucks on him to get him on my roster when someone else dropped him. I couldn't believe he was a free agent. And I spent a ton of my money, my play money, that is, when I didn't need to. Not even one other bid was submitted. I could have had him for a $0 bid. I think I bid something like $16 or something, 16% of my entire season's budget on him. So I feel like everybody is pretty just disenfranchised or discouraged about Ryan Strom, and you won't have to dangle too much in front of them to get them to drop him. And I think if they still have them on their roster, then they probably believe he can turn it around and it might cost more than he's worth right now to acquire. Yeah, I guess maybe at the end of the day, you could say that maybe his ceiling stays the same. Like maybe he still could be a 50, 60 point player. And of course we have to adjust for the points he hasn't had and now the games he's going to miss. But you know, he could be a 50, 60 point pace player when he comes back into the NHL, if slash when, hopefully when. But at the same time, maybe now his floor has gone down quite a bit. Like before, maybe we would have thought he's for sure going to be like at least 40 points and then maybe up to 50 or 60. Now it's hard to know if he's going to get the opportunity. So maybe there's a bit more risk associated with Ryan Strome, but there is still that reward available if you're willing to take the risks to get him. But like you say, maybe it'd be nice if someone could just drop him and you could pick him up for free. But you mentioned how he was playing with Tavares, and now he's not playing with Tavares since he's not even in the NHL right now. But one guy who we were concerned about not playing with Tavares that now apparently will be playing with Tavares is Kyle Ocposo. A long sentence just to get to saying that this is very exciting news for Ocposo owners, who already didn't have too much to be concerned about. He has 10 points in 14 games, though he did have a bit of a pointless drought, four games without a point before he scored a goal against Montreal. But now that he's back with Tavares, who knows what could happen? Like, we're talking about a guy who was a 70-point-plus player with Tavares as his line mate. So it's exciting for Ocposo. We'll see how the lines shake out. Of course, if we expect Strom to be coming up soon, we don't know how long this will last. But overall, this is an exciting time for Ocposo owners who have held on to him, concerned that he was demoted to the second line at the start of the year. Yeah, he started the year off strong, but this promotion to the top line next to Tavares comes not a moment too soon. He's been really slowing down lately he just had a run of four pointless games where he only had six shots on goal in them he did score a goal in the Isles last game against Montreal and had three shots on goal but still I feel like all of his owners would like this little injection into his game and if he could stay up there for the rest of the season and everybody who was very concerned at the start of the season can finally rest easy and know that he's there I imagine that he is going to stick there for at least 
a little while, even when Ryan Strom comes back, you know, if they really don't like him as much as it seems, I don't think they're going to pop him right back on the first line. But in Long Island, as is always the case, you just never know. Okay, now we've talked about Strom being sent down. Now time to talk about someone who's been called up, someone who we've been anticipating his call up ever since he didn't make the team. Marco Dano finally got the call from the Blackhawks. And you know, it's been a bit underwhelming. (laughs) He's been up for three games now. He has one goal, which is nice, but his average time on ice has been 10 minutes and 28 seconds. He played only eight minutes and 53 seconds in the game he scored that goal against St. Louis. And that was a crazy game, by the way. It was like six to five. So I don't know how much stock you want to put into that goal. The Chicago Lions have really been in flux lately with Hosa injured. Apparently Hosa's going to be back today, so maybe things will start to settle. But Brian, do you see any value in Marco Dano right now for the people that maybe kept him in their NA slot when he got sent down and now we're deciding whether or not to bring them into their lineups? Would you drop someone to activate Marco Dano or do you think maybe he was a bit of a bust and not he's still not someone worthy of a roster spot at this point in time? Yeah, I'd hold off until we actually see him playing A extended minutes and B extended minutes with quality players. If you look at the last three games, his most common line mates have been Tanner Kiro, Ryan Hartman, Victor Tikhonov, and Ryan Garbett. And of course, like we're looking at a very small sample, like he's only spent five minutes with Ryan Garbett, and that's still like his fourth most common forward line mate. But another concern about Dano is just that his possession game has not shown up. And that's one of the reasons we liked him a lot last year, and we thought it might be a way that he can impress his coaches so that he gets into those big roles. But In his three games that he's played, his possession numbers have just been terrible. And I don't know if it's his fault. It's not like his line mates have been anything to write home about, but it's not necessarily a good way to earn more minutes with the team. Yeah, and I guess we kind of seem to be talking about this every week. But really quickly, the update on Chicago's lines right now, we were talking at the beginning of the year how Panarin was like a fixture on that line with Anisimov and Kane. Things have switched around a little bit lately. Panarin has been on the top line with Jonathan Taves and I guess Ryan Garbett a little bit right now. But of course, with Hossa coming back, Garbett's not going to stay in the top six. But it's been Tara Vinen, the guy who we've been concerned about and then happy about and excited about and then back to concerned about again. Tara Vinen right now has been in the top six and he's actually been doing pretty well lately. He's got four points in his last three games and he's playing in that spot where Panarin was with Anisimov and Kane. And by the way, Patrick Kane, 19 points in 14 games on the year. So anyone who drafted him is obviously reaping the rewards. But yeah, so Tara Vinen now in the top six. I guess we'll have to see what happens when Hosa comes back, but it'll be interesting. Maybe they'll leave Panarin with Taves and Hosa and then leave Tara Vinen with Anisimov and Kane. I'm curious to see what's going to happen with those Chicago lines. Maybe we'll just have to kind of check in every week until things finally settle. Yeah, and for now, I feel like Panarin is probably the safest guy of all the new guys to stay in a relevant top six role. But Tara Vinen has been doing very well lately. And I think if you have a spot to stream on your roster, why don't you go ahead and add him? I feel like he's been dropped in tons of leagues after owners got impatient with him early on, hoping that he would be, you know, a huge sleeper pick to start the year. He wasn't, but now Elon, like you said, four points in his last six games with six shots on goal. Things finally seem to be starting to go his way. And if you've got a guy, you know, burning a spot in the bottom of your lineup, I don't see much risk or much reason not to drop him and add Teravainen. Yeah, well, we're about to get to a bunch of players who are on hot streaks right now. So maybe I'll be asking you Teravainen or this guy, or we'll see, you know, who you have in your rankings. But yeah, also something good about Tara Vinen, he played in 20 minutes almost, 19 minutes and 58 seconds a couple of games ago against St. Louis, that crazy game against St. Louis, so again, maybe we shouldn't put too much stock in it. Overall, though, his ice time has been up a little bit, 
though in his last game against New Jersey, he went back to 14 minutes, less than 15. So yeah, definitely a question mark about Teravainen, but things are definitely looking up now compared to how they were earlier in the year. Brian, one last call-up, which I guess is basically going to blend into the general hot streak segment of the show, but Frank Vatrano got called up by the Boston Bruins. This is definitely the type of call-up that I wouldn't have even noticed, except that a couple people were talking about him in the Keeping Carlson Facebook page and said, oh, he was really good in the minors, watch out for this guy, and he came in for his first game yesterday for the Bruins, and he scored a goal! So that definitely made me take notice. So here's a guy now on the team. He played 14 minutes and 20 seconds, got even a little bit of power play time. So, Brian, who is Frank Vetrano, and is he someone worth watching, or is this just kind of like, big deal, he scored a goal, but don't expect it to keep happening? Now, he's a bit of a local product, which excites a lot of Bruins fans, I think, and might bode well for, you know, the kinds of opportunities that he sees with the team in the future, if their management uses any sort of similar strategy to what the Ottawa Senators generally do in liking guys who are from Ottawa or from the region. But he not only is from Massachusetts, but he has essentially spent his entire career in Massachusetts playing at UMass Amherst in college and then leaving college to sign with Boston late last season. He went to Providence, played a few games there, nothing special, but he started this year tearing up the NHL. He had 10 goals in 10 games, add two assists to that for 12 points. And he was able to continue doing that with Boston, becoming the first Frank, actually, sorry, the second Frank to score a goal in the NHL since April 14th, 1998, when Frank Bannum potted one for the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. The other, Where do you find these stats? Hockeyreference.com. Very good site. <laughs> okay. Although I do my own research, of course. I just use their site to find out, because I knew, actually, little side story, Frank Bannum, when I bought a PlayStation way back in like 1999 and I bought NHL 99 as my first game. The first goal I ever scored was with Frank Bannum. Oh man. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you remember that. But You've had maybe- a very exciting life. <laughs> the other the other Frank, of course, to score a goal since Frank Bannum did in 98 is Frank Corrado, although I've known him as Frankie Corrado. So I don't know if that's fair, but Frank Valtrano, a true Frank a true Boston Bruin, and I don't know if he's going to stay up for very long, but he definitely made a good impression in a very deep league, or if you're in like a keeper league with a farm system, he's definitely someone you want to have on your roster, especially with the way he's performed to start his first full pro season down in the AHL. Yeah, and hey, not a bad opportunity playing with Krejci and Louis Erickson yesterday. So if he could play with Krejci, the way Krejci's been playing, anyone playing with him is going to get points. And while you're mentioning Elon, we should say the way Louis Erickson's been playing, you know, anyone should be happy to be playing with him too. He's been someone since the Sagan trade, he's almost been like falling in terms of expectation. You know, he's a 30 goal guy in Dallas career high, 36 goals. And then he moved to Boston. He scored 10 goals in his first season there, 22 goals in his next season. He's already got five goals in 13 games so far this season. A bit of a high shooting percentage, but it's nice to see him finally succeeding. He has 12 points in 13 games played, and some of that is definitely due to Krejci and him sort of feeding off each other. A little bit of regression is probably expected from both those guys. But if Louis Erickson's a free agent in your pool right now, and I think in a lot of leagues he went undrafted, you might want to consider adding him to your team. He's been fairly good to start the year. And even if he does drop off a little bit, I'm a little more optimistic about him this year than I have been for the last two. (laughs) A couple understatements there, like fairly good. 12 points in 13 games is extremely good for Erickson. And I doubt he's a free agent in your league. But if he is, yeah, like you say, grab him. Must be pretty shallow league in that case. But okay, if we're talking about the Bruins, obviously we can't move on before we go to the blue line. 
and mention Colin Miller, who, out of nowhere, another Frank Vetrano here, because Colin Miller has six points in his last six games, believe it or not. And this is just, like I said, like unexpected. And in a position like D, where it's so hard to find people who can put up consistent points, this must be all of a sudden someone who people need to be paying attention to. Like already in a couple of my leagues, he's been picked up. I wouldn't be surprised if he'll get picked up in the third one soon. Of course, my big concern with him is his ice time. So Brian, who is Colin Miller now? Go back to where you were reading about Vetrano and the different Franks. Dig it up and find out who Colin Miller is and let us know if he's someone that people should be grabbing in fantasy right now. Well, I actually considered who the last Colin to score a goal in the NHL was. And I was thinking like, is it Colin Forbes way back when? But no, there have been a few since then. Colin Wilson, probably the most recent. <laughs> Colin Greening every once in a while. Yeah, it'll be a while before we hear from him again. But right now, the premier Colin in the NHL appears to be Colin Miller. So you'd rather have Miller over Wilson right now? Yes, I would prefer Colin Miller, not only because he has more points, but he plays at defense and he's come up quietly until now. Like this week, he really blew up and we actually had one of our patrons flag him for everybody to see right before this run started or right at the start of this run. He's now on a six-game point streak. He's got seven points in 12 games played, and this isn't necessarily unexpected either. He had a very good run with Manchester of the AHL last year. He was a key piece coming over in the Lucic deal, and he actually helped lead the Monarchs to the AHL championship last season, scoring 10 points in 19 playoff games. And back at the start of this run, you know, it was a lot of cautious optimism saying, oh, somebody is finally emerging on that Boston blue line that really essentially has Krug and a declining Chera. And now finally Colin Miller comes along and maybe we can drop the cautious part of that. You know, a 12-game sample is still very small, but it's been pretty convincing as he's worked his way into the top 10 or 15 defensemen in each of the points per 60, shots per 60, and courses or shot attempts per 60 minutes categories. And there are some other weird names bouncing around in each of those categories, but Colin Miller's might be the only name that is showing prominently and consistently in all three, even with that small sample. You know, he's barely played over 100 minutes so far this year. And like you said, Elon, his five-on-five ice time is not quite there yet, but he is getting more looks on the power play than half of the Bruins' decor. So I don't have much else to add other than that maybe you should add him. I feel like a lot of teams are missing a fourth defenseman or constantly looking for deaf defensemen, especially if you have a defensive points category, Colin Miller is a pretty decent guy to have at the moment. Yeah, I guess at the end of the day, there is this concern, right? Like if he's only playing 15, 16 minutes a game on D, you can't expect too many points to keep coming. But at the same time, if he keeps getting these points, maybe that means his minutes are going to go up. And like we know, there isn't so, so much competition on the Bruins D. So definitely if he's earning those minutes, he's going to get more time. So yeah, I definitely agree also. Definitely a nice add at this point if you can get him. Worst comes to worst, you know, he's at the bottom of your roster. You just drop him in a week. But no risk, no reward. And right now for D, there might not be a better option than Colin Miller in free agency. Elon, I'm surprised you're not going to do this to me or that you haven't yet. And I'm going to jump so that you can't. I'm going to do it to you first. Who would you rather, Colin Miller or Colton Pareko? Pareko, uh, for sure. <laughs> like, without even blinking. Like, I can't believe that that's even a question. Why? Would you have to struggle for that one? No, I think I'd go Pareko too, just because of, you know, sheer ice time and even strength. But I feel like by the end of the season, they probably could be about even. Holy cow. In that case... That is a huge recommendation for Colin Miller, I think, because Pareko's got 10 points in 14 games, and he's been taking all of these shots. We already talked about Pareko. I don't want to get back to him. I'm very excited about Pareko. 
Sorry, I mean similar paces through the rest of the year. I don't think Cullen Miller is going to catch up to Pareko in terms of points, like total points by the end of the year. But I think he could be a similar guy. Like if you were someone who looked at Pareko or missed out on Pareko earlier this year, then Colin Miller might be the next guy you're interested in. Yeah, now's your chance to make do on past mistakes. So yeah, that's the thing. In fantasy, I find a lot of the times you're like regretting the moves you didn't make. So here's a chance to make a move before it's too late. Grab Colin Miller. Brian's obviously a fan. He's mentioning in the same breath as Pareko, who I think is a Calder Trophy candidate at this point. And let's keep going with these hot streaks. We have to mention Dale Weiss on Montreal, who has really emerged lately as a fantasy asset, like a fantasy must have. Like He's got five goals and one assist in his last five games. His minutes are up on Montreal. He's been taking lots of shots. Brian, like we saw last year, there was a small stretch, I remember, where Dale Weiss was getting a few goals and he was starting to pop up. And I remember, I think we must have said on the podcast, just like, don't worry about him. He's not a big deal. At this point now, his percentage ownership has been like skyrocketing in ESPN and Yahoo. Like people are rushing to grab him. And at this point, you know, he's already had now one game with no points against Boston yesterday. But of course, that's one game before that he was on this nice streak. Do you think that Dale Weiss is someone that people should be rushing to grab? Or do you think that everyone who's grabbed him in the past couple of weeks is probably going to end up just dropping him in a couple weeks from now? I feel like he's been added in a lot of leagues already. And if you are one of the people who's added him, here's my advice. Sell high. And it's not because what he's been doing is awful. In fact, what he's been doing is pretty good. Like he has six even strength goals and that actually ties him with Kyle Turris for fourth in the league in that category. Other interesting names around him on that list, by the way, Boone Jenner, Jared McCann, and Tori Mitchell. So we're not necessarily looking at a bunch of super talented guys in that spot, but Dale Weiss has managed to find his way in there. And this is a guy who in 274 career games to date has about as many penalty minutes as he does shots on goal, and both of those come at slightly lower than a pace of one per game. He had a career-high 91 shots on goal last season. That came in 79 games, and this year, after just 16 games played, he's already got nearly half as many shots with 39 shots on goal. He scored on eight of those shots for a shooting percentage greater than 20%. But it'd be a touch lazy to say that that 20% shooting percentage is just going to regress and, you know, he's just seeing a lot of bounces right now because, in fact, if you look at what he's doing in terms of shot attempts and shots on goal, he's creating more offense than he ever has in his career. And for that matter, so are his line mates, David DeHarnay and, to a lesser extent, Thomas Fleischmann. Though DeHarnay is a totally different kind of player, his shots on goal career high is actually pretty close to Wies's. But he is, yeah, he's also throwing more shots on net than we're used to. In leagues with hits, Wies might be someone fantastic to keep on your team. But otherwise, if your league just has points, I still think you might want to sell high on this whole first line. Their shooting percentages, regardless of how much more offense they are creating, just relative to like generally weak career numbers, they're still shooting 20, 20, and 15% respectively. That's not going to last. That's going to come down. And when it does, the points are going to dry up a little bit. And remember, this is still like, I don't know, the Canadians, I guess, are running with a sort of top nine at this point. Because you would expect the line with like Eller and Galchenyuk to be the second line and probably with DeHarnay on it. But right now, DeHarnay is seeing success with Weiss and Fleischmann. So if you have either one of those guys, I would try and sell high unless, like I said, you're in a hits league. In which case, Weiss looks slated to crack his career high of 29 points this year. Maybe if you're lucky, you'll see a half a point per game from him through the season with a good amount of hits. But yeah, if those don't help you, I would see what you can get back for him. I know a few pretty rabid Habs fans that would be very happy to have him on their rosters right now. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. I don't expect these points to keep coming. I remember like a week ago, we got a tweet asking what people should be doing about Tori Mitchell, if they should be picking him up, because he had a nice little streak going. And I responded saying, don't worry about him, it's just a mirage. And he's back to getting no points in his last three games. I expect that to come soon from Weiss. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, like like you say, he's playing on this line right now with Deharnay and Fleischman who are guys we'd love to see more points from, and right now they're coming. But yeah, at the end of the day, I just don't see Weiss factoring in on too much of Montreal's offense going forward. Definitely a sell-high opportunity right now if you picked him up. If you picked him up, though, don't drop him right away. Like, maybe ride the wave for a little bit. And like you said, Brian, especially with hits. But yeah, don't get uber, uber excited about Dale Weiss, especially compared to some of these other guys that are heating up right now. Like, I guess we could start right now. We mentioned Tara Vinen before. Would you rather have Tara Vinen than Weiss, considering mainly points? Oh, absolutely. I'd much rather be rolling with Tara Vinen for the rest of the year, or at least like even the next month, than I would Dale Weiss. Okay, let's rhyme off some other of these guys on hot streaks that I want to get your thoughts on. We have to mention Brandon Dubinsky on Columbus. He's always been known as like a solid like peripherals guy who can put up points. You know, he can put up 50 points in the season and give you some nice hits and maybe penalty minutes. But this year, Dubinsky's been doing really well. He has 11 points in 15 games overall. And eight points in his last eight games, including three goals, obviously then five assists. Dubinsky has become a really solid point producer on Columbus. And that can't be said about a lot of players on Columbus right now. So, Brian, do you think that this increased offense from Dubinsky is going to last? Or do you think at the end of the day, he's still going to be just like a 50-point guy? Last year, I don't know if we've mentioned this, he was on like a 63-point pace had he not been injured. He only played 47 games last year. This year, I don't know. I I don't think 60 points over a full season is really his style. And he does play a game that might get him injured. He's missed significant time in two of the last three seasons. And he doesn't take a ton of shots either, but he does seem to have reasonable success. And he does seem to be playing a fairly substantial role with the Blue Jackets this season. Maybe under Tortorella, that's going to go a little bit up, as the initial speculation had suggested. In leagues that count hits and penalty minutes, he's a very, very valuable guy, even if he isn't scoring at the clip he is right now. In leagues that only count points, I'd still value him as like a 50, 55-point guy, especially because he does not put a ton of shots on net. Just 26 shots on goal in 15 games played this season, and that is about par for the course for him. But yeah, even if he slows down a little bit, I still think 50 points is definitely within the realm of expectations, and 60 could be in there too. Depends on how long he can keep rolling for, and Columbus is still going to score goals. Like, they are starting to get going, and he's been a big part of that, which bodes well for him. I don't imagine he's available in very many leagues at this point, though. Well, he's still only 81% owned in ESPN, so he might be available in your league, depending how deep it is. And you talk about how Columbus's offense is starting to pick up lately. One guy who hasn't been a part of it and who hasn't been picking up his offense at all all season is Nick Foligno, who's very concerning for a lot of owners. You know, he had that big breakout last year. We talked about it all summer as being not sustainable, but I don't even know if we predicted him to have such a bad start. He only has six points in 15 games. And I think the most concerning is he's basically getting no power play time. Like, he's not on either power play unit, or he hasn't been in the past few games. His minutes are down. He's a guy who was seeing, you know, 17, 18 minutes last year at least. In his last three games, he's played 14, 48, 13 minutes and 15 seconds, and 14 minutes and 4 seconds, respectively. So definitely a lot of concerns about Nick Foligno right now. Brian, is there like a silver lining? Like, Do we see him at least being able to get back up to like a 50-point pace, maybe 60-point pace? You know, we don't expect him to get 70 again, but I thought he would at least be somewhat valuable, you know, playing with Ryan Johansson, who's been slumping himself. But like, let's say if you had to choose right now between Dubinsky and Foligno, who would you rather have? 
Well, I think you just hit the nail on the head, though. With Ryan Johansson goes Nick Foligno, and Ryan Johansson has not scored since the second game of the season. He has now gone 11 consecutive games without a goal. He had one game where he had two assists and has been off the score sheet, really, for the most part of the last 10-11 games without even putting a ton of shots on goal either. So I don't know what's happening with that first line right now, if they need time to gel or if Tortorella's really giving them a rough time and giving the Dubinsky line a little bit of preference. But yeah, I'm pretty low on Nick Foligno generally, and especially if the guys who need to produce on his line aren't producing like Ryan Johansson. Yeah, and then I'll throw in there, especially if he's not on the power play. That's the most concerning thing to me. Yeah, that is very concerning. And with that, we still have a few more players on hot streaks and a few, like, snoozers. I'm curious to know, Brian, if you think they're snoozers still to talk about. But before we talk about them in a lightning round to end the show, I want to, of course, thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson for helping to support us and keep us afloat. We've already talked about on the show, we keep on referencing the Facebook group and how we're seeing all of these hot takes on players before they come up, like Colin Miller. Like Brian said, he was mentioned as, oh, you guys should look out for this Colin Miller guy. Same with Frank Vetrano. Maybe we have a lot of Bruins fans in the Facebook group that know about these guys. But yeah, so they're not only supporting the show monetarily, but they're even giving us some hot takes to talk about on the podcast and, of course, to pick up in our leagues. So now is definitely a time to sign up to be a patron of Keeping Carlson. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, basically, we have some people. We have a program in place with Patreon where you could sign up to donate $5 a month to support the show. And in exchange, you get membership to our exclusive and awesome patron-only Facebook group, which is busy all the time. You basically can just ask a fantasy hockey question and you'll get a ton of answers from a lot of smart people very quickly, including Brian and myself. Plus, we do a monthly patron cast, a special podcast just for the patrons. We do it live on Spreecast and you could join in and ask us questions. It's a lot of fun. We actually have our next patron cast coming a week from Tuesday if you want to sign up in time for that. So, of course, just the fact that you're listening to the show, we love you for that. But if you wanted to take an extra step and become a patron of Keeping Carlson, you can find all the information about that at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. And I want to make a shout out to Ronnie, who signed up as a patron last week. He apparently listens to us while training for marathons, which is pretty nuts. So I generally listen to podcasts while on the toilet, but I guess everyone has different ways that they enjoy their fantasy hockey content. That is gross. <laughs> Do you have anything to say about the patrons? I was going to say stuff, but I'm just too grossed out. I would suggest that Ronnie might be the more normal of the two of you. Uh, so thanks, Ronnie, for your support. Thanks, everyone, for your support. And we also have this amazing Cupful League going on, and there's a Facebook group for anybody in that Cupful League. So if you're listening right now and you don't know about the Facebook group dedicated to, like, smack talk and trade offers just for our Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, make sure you get in on that. Join now. You can find the link over on our Facebook page. Yeah, I'm about to get crushed this week in the Cupful League, so that's why I haven't wanted to mention it very much. My awesome goalie tandem of Tuka Rask, Corey Crawford, and Brian Elliott is looking not so great right now. Elon, nobody cares about your team. Let's go to the lightning round. Okay, so let's go back and forth, Brian. I love a bunch of players I want to talk about. I'm sure you do as well. So before we end the show, let's just talk about some other noteworthy fantasy players that we haven't yet gotten to. I'll start... I have to mention Oscar Lindbergh, right? This guy who we talked about, I think, on the first episode of the season. He had that hot start to the year. And you know what? He's kept it up. And in fact, he actually leads rookies in goals right now, believe it or not. Lindbergh now has seven goals and four assists for 11 points in 14 games on the year. These are fantastic numbers. And he's really heated up lately. Like, after we talked about him on the show, he had that hot start. Then we talked and said, don't worry about him. It's not going to keep up. His ice time is so low. And then we were right for a while. He wasn't doing anything. 
But now, in his last six games, he has six points, three goals and three assists. So he's heating up again. And his ice time has actually improved slightly. Like, he's gone up from the 10 and 11 minutes. In his last game, he played 14 minutes. So a slight improvement. Maybe starting to be someone that you might want to have on your radar. Maybe it's too late and other people have already jumped on him who are excited just about that production. But before, when I wasn't caring about his production, now I am starting to care at least just a little bit. His assist yesterday against Arizona was actually on the power play. Well, if you feel bad about missing out on Lindbergh, don't, is my short answer. I don't know. I just don't see this last thing with him. Seven goals on 25 shots. That's a 28% shooting success rate. Not going to hold up. And I know, like, we've had people ask us, should I start Lindbergh or player X or player Y? And I always do not say Lindbergh. Like, I never suggest starting Lindbergh. And he inevitably seems to score a goal on those nights, but I don't think it's going to continue. I would still keep him out of my lineup more often than not, or I'd rather have like any established 50-point scorer over him right now. I know what he's doing is exciting to start the year, but I personally am not terribly impressed. His possession numbers are also poor, which makes me think that he probably needs to work on his game as a whole and is not going to be given a whole lot of slack when push comes to shove and in terms of being able to increase his workload and minutes and zone starts and all that stuff. Yeah, well, I'll say I am impressed, but I agree with you that maybe I don't see it continuing. He's currently on the third line with Kevin Hayes and Victor Stahlberg. Like I said, he did get onto that second power play, but we'll see how much time he actually gets with them. Brian, who do you want to talk about now? Well, Elon, I've been holding a candle for Matt Duchesne for so long, and finally he is, I don't know, what does someone do when you hold a candle for them? He comes home? He's been doing very well lately. Let's just say that in his last four games, he's managed to pick up four points and 15 shots on goal, which is fantastic. He's had two power play points in that span. And if he's a free agent right now, I still feel like he should be on rosters. Like he is going to pick up his game. He has six points in 14 games over the course of the season. But those first four games, he had no points. So essentially six points in his last 10 games. And even if he gives you that much, he is still worth rostering. That would be like a 50-point pace, which I still think is low. I still think he's going to get his game going. I see positive indications for him still. I don't think he's someone who's just fading away like, say, a Jeff Skinner who we've maybe finally started to lose hope for. This is, in my opinion, Duchesne's last season to really make a positive impression and live up to the potential that we're hoping to see from him. And so far, I think he's in a good place. I think he's got a good shot of doing it. Yeah, well, it's definitely also promising that he's no longer like on the third line. Like he's finally getting opportunity to play with some good line mates. In Colorado's last few games, he's been seeing time with Landeskog and even with Nathan McKinnon. So we'll see how the lines shake out. Apparently right now Tange is injured. So that's thrown the lines in a little bit of flux. We'll see what happens with Colorado moving forward. But hopefully Patrick Waugh will keep Matt Duchesne where he belongs in the top six and getting significant power play minutes. And if that happens, I'd say his floor is like a 60 point pace moving forward. And hopefully he could even do better than that. That's even more optimistic than me a little bit. Like I'd still hedge a little bit and say 55 point pace. But wouldn't that be lovely if he was able to do that? Elon, who do you have next in our lightning round? Well, I have some people that I want to talk about as snoozers, but I I want to keep the positivity going. So let's talk about Sam Bennett on Calgary. Last week, we mentioned Michael Froelich, who had that hat trick. And in general, when you talk about offensemen on Calgary, you just talk about Gaudreau, Monaghan, and Hoodler. But there's a new guy to talk about on Calgary when we talk about forwards, and that is Sam Bennett, because he has eight points 
in his last six games. He's starting to get really nice minutes. He played 17 minutes, almost 18 minutes a couple games ago. He actually cracked 18 minutes three games ago. And with three goals and five assists in his last six games, he is definitely showing himself to be someone noteworthy and probably worth at least picking up as a flyer in your fantasy leagues he's only four percent owned right now in espn and that is going to change he's playing on a hot line right now with backland and for he's seeing time on the second power play unit which actually has johnny gojo right now i'm seeing which is interesting but yeah sam bennett is finally emerging as a guy that's worthwhile in fantasy and you might want to grab him now before it's too late you know if you ask me which bennett would emerge first in the nhl i was hoping it would be Bo, but sam is doing pretty well so far this season like you said elon he actually leads the flames in on ice high danger scoring chances for per 60 minutes which is a great metric to follow if you're looking to see where a player's chances are coming from on the ice his are coming from generally the most dangerous part on the ice which is a positive thing for sure. And yeah, I don't see a ton of other stuff really out of order. Like his on-ice shooting percentage is pretty normal and his personal shooting percentage is a little high. But of course, like that's still like within an expected range of being high for this part of the season. So uh, good find, Elon. I think Sam Bennett could be an interesting depth add in some leagues. Another young player looking to make his mark in the league that we mentioned ever so quickly at the end of last week because we ran out of time, but we have time to give him the credit he deserves this week is Morgan Riley in Toronto. Just doing fantastic. He has eight points in his last eight games played, putting up good shots on goal numbers, has a couple power play points in there as well. He is really emerging as a very steady hand on the blue line that can also put in points. Like this isn't a situation where we have a young player who's totally irresponsible and just in the right place at the right time with other players on his line sort of picking up the slack for him. When you watch a Leafs game, you see two players stand out night in and night out, and that is Nazem Kadri and Morgan Riley in the way that they carry the puck and that they move it forward and carry it up the ice. So it's not just Riley's point production that I'm excited about right now. It's his overall play, which of course is going to feed into future point production. So Morgan Riley would be a great ad for you, although I imagine you might have missed the boat because the secret is getting out about Morgan Riley. The next step for him is to earn more and more power play time. Right now, Dion Phaneuf is holding down the large majority. Yes, look at that. We're such good friends. We finish each other's sentences. (laughs) I just happen to be looking at the power play time now as you're talking about Riley. So yeah, that's the next hill to climb for Riley. And I think he can do it. It might not happen this year, but it doesn't seem to matter, at least in the short term. He is a good depth defenseman option, like even in number three defenseman option for your team, if you can grab him. You know, if you're the kind of person who got excited about our Colin Miller talk earlier in the episode, then you really should be as excited or more excited about Morgan Riley. We actually had a really interesting question on Facebook yesterday asking if it would be better to have Morgan Riley or Rasmus Ristolainen. And I'm curious to know, Brian, where you stand on that now. Riley, of course, is on this hot streak, but Ristolainen actually broke out of a bit of a funk with two goals against Vancouver yesterday. The thing with Ristolainen, he takes more shots than Riley and he is getting that power play time. So if you had to pick one right now, who would you rather have? Well, for peripherals, Ristolainen offers a little bit more. I think I still like Riley's upside more than Ristolainen's. You know that I'm still counting on Franson to really take a hold of all the offensive duties from the blue line in Buffalo. And with Bogosian coming back eventually, that also might change what Ristolainen's role is. But not to take away from what Ristolainen's doing. I mean, his production has been good, although not terribly steady. 
And like we've said, you know, he can put a couple points up in each of the, your peripheral categories if he is not scoring at that particular moment. Yeah, you're still talking about Franson, eh? Okay. Well, we'll see. Ristolainen, five shots on goal also yesterday. So, uh, I don't know. I definitely would want Ristolainen over Franson. Not as sure about Riley. But yeah, you're still holding a candle for Franson. Do you still have him in any of your leagues? You know, I don't think I was able to draft him in any of my leagues. So the answer is no. <laughs> yeah, and he's not a free agent? No, not a free agent in any of my leagues. Oh, he's a free agent in all of my leagues. I guess note to people in my Cupful league, according to Brian, you should be jumping on Cody Franson. I promise you I won't be outbidding you for him. So he's all yours. I just dropped Matt Niskanen in my Cupful league, actually, and he's still 100% owned, apparently, in ESPN formats. That's a swap I think I'd make. Niskanen out for Franson. Go for the upside. Why not? Hmm. <laughs> okay, let me talk about the next guy that I had on my list here. More on the snoozers side now. And snoozer of the week, that's something that we used to do all the time. So here we are. We're reintroducing the snoozers segment. And we have to start with Marion Gabarik, who has just had a horrible year. The Kings for a while weren't getting many points, and then they did. And we talked about it last week. And then we were saying still... Kopitar wasn't producing. Well, now Kopitar has three points in his last four games, doing what we'd expect. Gabrick, on the other hand, still a total snoozer. He's got two points in his last 10 games, no points in his last five. And I read that he was dropped down to the third line. So he's not even playing with Kopitar anymore. It's like Gabrick with Dustin Brown and Nick Shore. Oi, oi, oi. Brian, do you see any promise for Myron Gabrick, or is he safe to drop in most leagues at this point? Well, now I'm really getting outed as a guy who's made some very curious decisions, very impulsive decisions in my league, because when I added Strom the same day, I also added Gabrick, and again, bid way more than I needed to, to add him to my team. In fact, I could have bid $0 and gotten him, and now he is, like, really a lot closer to the bottom spot on my team than I thought he would be. Very disappointing season. He still has 32 shots on goal right now, though, and if he was scoring at, like, a usual rate in terms of shooting percentage, he might have like three more goals than he has right now, which would make his line look a lot better, his scoring line. I mean, because right now his actual line looks terrible, and I'm hoping he can work his way up the depth chart. I happened to read something recently that said, you know, he was a little too crafty, a little too creative to fit very well for long on Andre Kopitar's wing, and I wonder if that's hurt his status with the Kings right now. So I'm still watching him. He still had a couple games recently where he put up five shots on goal. The opportunities are coming, the goals or not. So I'm holding out hope that it's just a matter of time. But at this moment in time, I think he is a snoozer. He is someone that you should definitely consider dropping for another player who is seeing sustained success. And then I'll throw out my own snoozer here. Actually, Elon, this is both of our snoozer. And his name is Elias Lindholm, who we were really hopeful on at the start of the season in terms of being able to step in and continue the momentum that he started last year with Carolina. And this year we thought he could have a bigger role and the team would be scoring more goals and that he'd be part of that. It hasn't happened so far. In fact, very little has happened for Elias Lindholm. He has just one goal on 23 shots in 14 games played, not even an assist. That goal didn't come on the power play. He is doing nothing for you. If he is still on your roster right now, I would be shocked that you hadn't called him quite yet. But if you are one of those people and you just haven't been paying attention, if you've been snoozing on him, now is the time to cut it off. Elias Lindholm needs to earn his way back onto your roster. Yeah, we actually got a tweet from at CS Orford 
asking us thoughts on E. Lindholm. Not good so far. Felt he was poised for a breakout this season, perhaps a subject for the next pod. And here we are talking about him. And I actually responded saying, we'll bring him up as a snoozer. And in my opinion, it seems like Versteeg has stepped up where we thought Lindholm would. And, you know, I, it is worth mentioning that Chris Versteeg, while Lindholm has been completely snoozing, Versteeg has six points in his last seven games. And even when he's not getting points, like in his last two games, he doesn't have points, but he's been taking so many shots. He had five shots two games ago against Dallas, three shots yesterday against Ottawa, playing huge minutes. So if you want a right wing on Carolina right now, I think he would be Chris Versteeg. He's the guy seeing time with Eric Stahl. And, you know, even if you didn't have Christopher Sieg, maybe you'd want, like, Chris Terry. I don't even know, but you wouldn't want Elias Lindholm. Well, I'd say Victor Rask. If you have Lindholm as a center and you're looking to replace him, Victor Rask could be a good option on the same team. He has five points in his last four games. And actually, you can even go further back than that. He has seven points in his last seven games. He had five shots on goal against Ottawa last night, although who does not get five shots on goal against Ottawa this season? And he's looked pretty good while doing it. He's playing on the second line, although in Carolina, I feel like they kind of have like three reasonably equal lines. The first line is Lindholm with the Stahl brothers, and then Rask is playing with Versteeg and Gerby, and then you've got Skinner playing with Terry and Nash. Yeah, that's been moving around a lot. It's not the most powerful top nine, and yeah, there is a lot of movement within it, but I feel like any player within that top nine does have a shot at being the guy who does step forward, and right now Victor Rask is doing that on his line, maybe in tandem, like you said, Elon, with Chris Versteeg. And yeah, maybe I'll just quickly see your Victor Rask. Maybe I should just mention Jordan Stahl as someone who has, you know, he was dropped in one of my leagues after being drafted in a very deep league. So it was surprising to see a guy like him available. He actually still is available. And maybe I should be jumping to grab him right now because he has three goals and three assists in his last five games. And he's starting to take a whole bunch of shots. Yeah, he did nothing for his first nine games, though. I'm still like sort of over Jordan Stahl after hoping for more offense from him in his Carolina years to date. He is disappointed every single time. His increased shot rates are definitely promising. And if you're in a really deep league and you want to try and snatch him with hope, then go for it. But if you're not, I don't know. I wouldn't jump at him. (laughs) Yeah, well, just to say, there's a few guys on Carolina that are putting up points lately. None of them are Elias Lindholm. And I know this is supposed to be the end of the show. Really quickly, Brian, I just want to mention New Jersey Devils players are still putting up a lot of points. I just really want to get your take. I'm really sorry about this, but so quick. Guys like Kyle Palmieri, seven points in his last six games. Travis Zajac, six points in his last six games. Stempniak has still kept it up to some extent. Do you see any value in like a Palmieri or a Zajac moving forward? Or do you think it's like nice if you had him before but don't expect it to keep going so to answer this question i was like well you know i'll just bring up their even strength shooting percentage as a team and it's probably going to be in the top five but no they are actually in the bottom six in terms of even strength shooting percentage so it's not even like a ton of bounces are going their way as a team now for these guys specifically it seems like things are still working out a little bit more in their favor than they should but i'm wondering if new jersey is not similar to arizona say this here you've just got guys at different parts of their careers in new jersey than they are in arizona as guys on a team you know someone is going to have to put up points and maybe they'll be able to get like 55 by season's end and maybe we can expect a few more to hit 50 than we did at the start of the season one guy who is surprisingly not in on all this though in the last five games mike camilleri has just one goal no assists a handful of shots on goal 
was hoping that he would really carry the team, but maybe the offense is going to be spread out a touch more than we originally thought. It's not going to rest completely on, say, Camilleri and Henrik's shoulders. Yeah, and the hottest guys right now, Palmieri and Zajac. I will say about Zajac, he is usually not a goal scorer. He's usually more of an assist guy, but he has four goals in his last four games. But it should be noted that those four goals are on five shots. So I know what you would say, Brian. That is not sustainable. So don't expect him to keep scoring goals, but maybe he'll still be a part of the offense if he could just, you know, convert these into assists. That wouldn't be so bad either. Palmieri, on the other hand, though, he does take a lot of shots. He's got 33 shots in 13 games on the year. And right now, he's definitely converting. He's on a super hot streak, like I said. So maybe he's a guy you can grab for goals. I guess him or Zajac are good in the short term. But I personally don't expect either of them to, you know, keep doing something like this for the rest of the year. So don't get super excited and drop someone like a Matt Duchesne or something. I guess now you wouldn't, but you would have like a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, don't drop someone like that. Well, don't forget, last year we saw Palmieri as maybe a really good third piece to go on that top line in Anaheim. And then he moved to New Jersey in the offseason after scoring 29 points in 57 games last year. So far this year, 10 points in 13 games, a very reasonable shooting percentage. I would prefer him to Zajac, and I'm interested to see, actually, where his career takes him. Like, he's been in the league for, you know, coming up on five years, not all full seasons, but it's about time where we finally maybe we'll get to start to see what his ceiling potential could be. He's turning 25 in February, so now would be about the right time for him to step up and make a statement if he's going to make one. Okay, and with that, we once again have come to the end of a long episode of Keeping Carlson. Thanks to everyone who stuck with us all the way through. We hope you enjoyed it. Tweeted us. Let us know what you thought, if you enjoyed the episode, if you took any of our advice, if there's anything we've said before that helped you or hurt you. We'd love to hear back from you. So tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. You can also just follow us. Always some interesting tweets coming from Brian, especially on busy game nights. As always, I like to ask, if you haven't yet, go head on over to iTunes, give us a five-star review. We would really appreciate that. Great way to help support the show. Doesn't cost you anything, but a couple of clicks of your mouse, and it helps us greatly. Thanks, as always, to Dabber Hockey for presenting the show, promoting us on your site. Dabber Hockey's really awesome. You guys should go there. I've already said it a bunch of times. With that, let's cue that outro music. And Brian, read us the credits. All right, Elon, like you just said, this episode was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our wonderful patrons. This show was researched with help from Dauber Hockey's Frozen Pool, War on Ice, Hockey Analysis, Roto World, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Great job as always, Brian. Looking forward to talking to you again next week. Until then, Elon and listeners, keep on keeping Carl Sand.